first moved here, I wasn't really attending church. I would go again for holidays, but I was not attending church regularly. So I had a ton of questions, and you know, most notably, uh, the the question of, of Jesus's death and resurrection. I mean, that was something that I really had some trouble wrapping my head around. The questions and doubts come in because I, I was so fact driven. There was a, there was cynicism maybe to begin with. Uh, where how could this be true? I mean, this just is not something that happens. And, and through all life's experiences and everything I've known, it's just it, it doesn't seem possible. That's why I had to really um, kind of dig deep into the into the the facts around and the history around what went on. That is the question: Did this really happen? Because if it didn't, nothing else really applies and matters. It doesn't work. Did you wake up excited this morning? Well, I did. Yeah, I woke up excited because today is Resurrection Day. It is Easter Sunday. Not only just good candy and food, but it is time to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's exciting, right? So uh, I'm really excited about it, but I don't know about you, but the first thing I saw in the news this morning was about Sri Lanka. Did you guys see that? And... It, it kind of stopped me in my tra- tracks out of the, all the excitement that I usually feel on Easter Sunday and I felt this morning. But it really put things in perspective. Because what we're talking about here this morning is a matter of life and death. And more than that, eternal life and eternal death. That's what we're talking about. And, and the question of did it really happen is maybe the most important question you will ever ask yourself. And that's why we're going to tackle that question head on today. Because you look at these uh, Christians in Sri Lanka, where at least three churches were attacked in a coordinated offense on Easter Sunday when these worshipers were gathering and over 200 people were killed and a few hundred more were injured. We look at them, and if it didn't happen, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what a waste of their lives. That we are wasting our time here. That the Apostle Paul was right when he wrote just about 10, 15 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. When he said, basically, if it didn't happen, we Christians are most of all to be pitied. We're wasting our lives. But if it did happen. But if it did happen, those believers in Sri Lanka are with Jesus right now in paradise. If it happened... They will be in glory forever, reigning with Christ. They will be given new bodies, just like Jesus' resurrected body, if it happened. And we too, one day, will join them, if we believe. It's a matter of eternal life and eternal death, if it happened. Spoiler alert, it happened. We're going to look at some of the evidence today. So I'm going to challenge you today. Some of you here, I know that there's some unbelievers here among us. There's people that say, yeah, I'm a believer, but man, I got some doubts. I got some questions. I'm not sure did the resurrection happen. I got questions about all sorts of stuff. If you're here this morning, I want to challenge you for the next hour to have an open mind. You can do that, right? You're open-minded people. I know you are. Keep an open mind. And what I mean by this is actually think through the evidence and the arguments To see if it happened, because we have this historical event that happened some 2,000 years ago. Either it happened or it didn't. 
And we need to examine the evidence. So I'm going to challenge you truly have an open mind. If you're a doubter, I want you to doubt your doubts. If you're skeptical, I want you to be skeptical of your skepticism. Seriously. Because maybe there is enough evidence and you have just been stubborn enough saying that you are open-minded. But we're actually going to have an open mind today, right? You with me? So we're going to examine one of the eyewitness accounts. Did you know that? An eyewitness account written by someone who was there that saw Jesus' resurrected body. But before we can even begin to do that, I need to address something because some of you are already tuned out. You say you're open-minded, but you're saying, no, 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 I don't believe in miracles. Supernatural stuff doesn't happen. I'm a scientific person, I'm rational, and therefore a miracle like a resurrection could not happen. Good, I'm glad you're scientific. I'm glad you're rational. We should all be that way. But here's the thing. If you are a scientific person, you already believe in the supernatural. What? Yeah, you already do. Because the prevalent scientific theory right now is that the entire universe was created 13.8 billion years ago. And you believe that this thing, we call it the Big Bang, there was some sort of singularity, and before it there was nothing, and after it there is everything. Well, let me tell you about the laws of science and thermodynamics. You know what physics tells us? Something does not come from nothing. Ever. So if you are to say, like all the leading scientists today, that something came from nothing, you believe in some event that is outside of the normal natural laws. That sounds like the definition of supernatural to me. It literally is. I looked it up. So you already, if you're a scientific person, believe in a supernatural event. So if there could be one supernatural event, perhaps there could be more than one. Okay? Now that we've gotten that figured out, now let's look at the eyewitness accounts because what we're talking about is not an event that got repeated all over the place. It is something like Mike Schur shared something that was a one-time thing outside of the ordinary, and we need to look at the historical evidence. Did it really happen? And there are many eyewitness accounts, in, in, according to the Apostle Paul, who wrote about 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, that there were 500 eyewitnesses. Most of them were still alive. He named a lot of them. And at that point, any of them could have refuted what Paul was teaching, but they didn't. They all proclaimed that, yes, Jesus had risen from the dead, these 500 eyewitnesses. And in fact, we have some of their written accounts. We have three by people who investigated the eyewitness accounts, like Luke, who was a historian, or Mark, or Paul himself, writing the accounts of others. And then we have three accounts by people who actually saw it, by Matthew, by Peter, who claimed to be an eyewitness, and by John. And we're going to look at that last one, John, this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can look with me. You can follow along on the screen. I'll have the verses. You can follow along on your smartphone as well. We're going to be in John chapter 20, verse 24, as we look at what John, one of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus for three years, had to say about this incredible event that he witnessed. Let's examine it. Verse 24, we read, Now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples, when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Okay, what's going on here? Thomas was one of the twelve disciples, but he wasn't with the other disciples when they first saw the risen Christ. Maybe he was at the DMV registering his donkey. We don't know. He got held up somewhere. We don't know, but he wasn't with the other guys. And the other ten Because you may remember the story that the other disciple, Judas, was the one who betrayed Jesus. And because of the guilt he felt, he went and hung himself. 
So Judas is dead. The ten saw Jesus. And what happened was that they went to the tomb on Sunday morning after Jesus had been killed and executed three days earlier. They went to the tomb, three women, and Jesus' body was not there in the tomb. The stone had been rolled away. There was no one there. And then a little while later, Jesus appeared to, appeared to one woman named Mary Magdalene, one of his followers. And Mary Magdalene told the other disciples, I've seen Jesus. He's alive. I love that Jesus picked a woman to be his first proclaimer of the truth. Because in that day, women weren't believed. Their testimony didn't matter, but that's who Jesus picked. I love that. But then Jesus appeared to those ten disciples. In a room, he appeared to them. They saw his hands and his feet where he had been nailed to the cross. They knew it was him. He spoke in the voice that they knew so well. And they went and told Thomas, we saw him. He's alive. But Thomas is like a lot of us. He was skeptical. He was a doubter. And that's what we read next. Thomas says, But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side where he was speared, I will not believe. Thomas was a doubter. He was skeptical. Even with the eyewitness testimony of his close, dear friends, he said, no, no, no. I need to examine the evidence more, right? He's a little stubborn, but aren't we all? He wanted more evidence. He was a doubter. But then something amazing happens. As we read uh, on, a week later, so seven days later, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, were in the house again. And this time Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus was right there in their midst. He appeared again, another miracle right there in the center of the room. All 11 of these guys are looking at Jesus in their midst. Jesus looks at Thomas and he says, you're out. You you don't get to make the cut of the top 12 anymore. How could you doubt like that? I only pick the most faithful, believing people. Is that what Jesus said? Now, this is what Jesus said in verse 26. Peace be with you. See, Thomas, who had just doubted that the resurrection happened, even though Jesus had said, hey, I'm going to die and rise from the dead three days later. He, He didn't believe. Even with the testimony, he didn't believe. He was a doubter. But Jesus says, peace be with you. He greeted him like a friend. In love, he came to Thomas and said, hey, I want to help you believe. What I love about that is that God and Jesus do not reject us doubters. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to be skeptical. It's okay to be a doubter like Thomas. And what's more than that, Jesus wants to come to each one of us individually, just like he came to Thomas, to help you with your unbelief. To help you come to faith. In fact, I know that some of you are here this morning because God has been drawing you here. Maybe you thought it was just someone handing you a card or a family member dragging you out of bed to get here this morning. Maybe it was you were in a haze on 420 yesterday and you just said, I got to get to church tomorrow. And now you're here. But something drew you. Let me tell you what that is. That's the Holy Spirit. God is drawing you here and he's working in your heart right now to help you believe just like he helped Thomas believe. And what's incredible now is Jesus approaches Thomas. And this is what he says. Then he said to Thomas in verse 27, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus said, hey, here's the proof. 
Here's the historical evidence. I am alive and I'm not just an apparition or a ghost. I am physically present. You can touch me. I'm real and I truly did rise from the grave. And then Jesus says this. Stop doubting and believe. It was okay that you had your doubts and your questions and skepticism, but at some point you've got to change, Jesus says to Thomas, and he says it to us as well. It's time to move past our doubts and enter into faith and belief and say, yes, it did happen. Yes, it did happen. And that's what I'm challenging you to do today. So we look at this eyewitness account. John wrote it down. John was there. He's writing it now. He's writing the account of Thomas, this doubter who moved from doubt to faith. In fact, this is what Thomas says next. He says in verse 27, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas, the doubter who was skeptical, now moves to the point where he says that Jesus is his Lord and his God. One thing I love about this transformation of Thomas is that he has the nickname of Doubting Thomas. That's literally what everybody refers to him as, Doubting Thomas. Oh, what a doubter. All the other disciples believed, but he was the doubter. But then Thomas gives the clearest and most powerful profession of faith there is. Up till this point, Jesus had told people that he was God. But Thomas was the first one to say that Jesus was God. He has the ultimate profession of faith because he moved from doubt to faith, from unbelief to belief. Why? Because it happened. It happened. The resurrection happened and Thomas saw him, the disciples saw him, and they knew, yes, this is the physical body of Jesus. We see his hands, it's the same Jesus we knew, the same voice that we recognize, the same man that we love, and he must be something otherworldly. This is something that is not natural. It's not a run-of-the-mill event. It is a miracle, and it happened. So they move from doubt to faith. That's what I'm challenging you guys to do as well, to move from doubt to faith. From unbelief to belief, just like Jesus challenged Thomas. But most of us, in our rational thinking, we say, well, there's got to be another explanation. There's got to be another explanation. Well, there are really five main arguments that people give to say, actually, that didn't happen. So I want to run through these arguments, because we should rationally look at them, right? That's what we're doing today, looking at the evidence. So there's five theories about what could have happened that Jesus wasn't resurrected from the grave. Well, the first one is that Jesus didn't really die. That Jesus didn't really die. But, these were the Romans that put Jesus to death, and they were experts at killing people. They were experts. You heard of a guy named Spartacus? Heard of that guy? Well, when he did a rebellion, the Roman soldiers executed 6,000 rebels in one day. They knew how to kill people. They knew how to execute people. And then when they put Jesus on the cross, they made sure he was dead. Now, I did my homework this week. I reached out and spoke with three different emergency room doctors this week. I seriously did to say, hey, can you look at this stuff and tell me what happened to Jesus and his body? And there's a few different theories about exactly how he died. And it's probably one of two things because of the descriptions that are written down in multiple accounts from that first century. Most people died when they were hanging on a cross of asphyxiation. They couldn't keep breathing. And you have to have oxygen. 
They would be exhausted and sore, and they could breathe in oxygen, but in order to exhale, they had to push up. But they couldn't push up because their nails were driven through their legs, and if they did so, it would be excruciatingly painful. So after a while, it would be too much pain. They couldn't get enough oxygen or, or let out enough carbon dioxide, so then their blood would start to get worse, and their heart wouldn't be able to pump blood throughout all their veins. And liquid would start to build up to make it even harder to breathe breathe around their heart and lungs. So some people think Jesus died of asphyxiation. That's how most people died when they were crucified. But it's also possible that he had a heart attack. Because we have recorded by eyewitness accounts that Jesus gave a loud cry. As if something was happening, like a cardiac event, that caused him to, to his heart to burst, literally, so that he would die on the cross. Whatever way it was, we know that one of the Roman soldiers wanted to make sure that he was dead, even though other eyewitnesses had seen him breathe his last. So the Roman soldier took a spear and jabbed it into Jesus' side. Now that's when there's multiple theories. Did Did it pierce his stomach? Did it pierce his heart, his lung? Because it's described that water and blood came out. So maybe some of the liquid that had built up around his heart and lungs. But this is what we do know. By that point, he was already dead. He was already dead before his internal organs were pierced. Um, Rachel Cafferty, who's uh, an ER doc in our congregation, I talked with her, and she sent me this article that was published in the Journal of American Medical Association. And she kind of summarized it for me for for someone who doesn't know all the medical lingo. And I tried to read it myself as well. But I, I find so fascinating the conclusion that these doctors came to when they examined the historical testimony about Jesus' death. This is what they write. Clearly... The weight of historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead. And on top of that, they took his body down, the centurions, the Roman soldiers, and then two other men wrapped him up in cloths. You think one of them would have noticed that he was still breathing or that his heart was beating, but it wasn't. He was dead. And that leads to the second theory. Some people say, well, yes, maybe Jesus died, but maybe he somehow was resuscitated. But this too doesn't take into account the historical evidence. Because before Jesus was executed, he was beaten and flogged 39 times. And he was so weak from blood loss and the abuse that he had suffered that he couldn't carry the cross, as the Romans were trying to force him to do, that third of a mile to get to the place where they would execute him on the hill. Another man, Simon of Cyrene, had to go in and lift the cross for Jesus because he was too weak. So probably, according to to Dr. Cafferty, that he was already in pre-shock. And then on the cross, he surely would have been in shock. And unless someone receives medical treatment, they're not coming back. But instead, Jesus was wrapped up and put in a tomb, And the tomb was sealed with a heavy stone. And the centurions were put on guard to make sure nobody messed with the body. So you would have to believe then that Jesus somehow came back to life in his weakened state, rolled away the stone that was heavy from the inside, and then snuck past the guards. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense at all of the evidence. But then there's a third possibility that some people have come up with. And this was the most common in Jesus' day that the body was stolen. This is the the rumor that the soldiers themselves spread. 
because they had been put on high alert to guard the tomb. And they were there, and all of a sudden, in the Sunday morning, the stone is rolled away, the body's gone, so they spread the rumor that someone had stolen the body. Well, this doesn't make sense either, because when people went into the tomb, multiple accounts say that the strips of linen that Jesus had been wrapped in were lying there, and the cloth that he had been wrapped up in was neatly folded and left. Now, if I were going to steal a body, I would not undress it and carry that naked body out of there. And I certainly wouldn't stay with the Roman soldiers right out front to fold it neatly. I wouldn't. It doesn't make sense. And none of that makes sense of the 500 eyewitness accounts of people who saw Jesus after he had been killed. None of it does. And that leads to the fourth theory. The fourth theory that all of these 500 people were suffering from a mass hallucination. That these 500 people... On different, in different locations, on different occasions, over a span of 40 days, in different groups, some individually, some in groups, saw Jesus' resurrected body. It doesn't make sense of the fact that they touched his physical body or ate fish with him. He had a meal. He had a physical body. It doesn't make any sense of that. No, the body wasn't stolen. So then that leads us to the fifth theory, that this was a massive conspiracy to start a new religion. This is a massive conspiracy to start a new religion. But here's the thing, and this is the most convincing thing for myself, and I hope it will be for you too, is that these 500 witnesses, and especially the 12 disciples, gave the rest of their lives to promote the news that Jesus had risen from the dead. Do you guys know who Chuck Colson is? He was one of the men in Richard Nixon's uh, administration. He was the hatchet man for Nixon. And when the Watergate scandal came to light, he was arrested and and convicted because of crimes he committed. And while he was in prison, he became a follower of Jesus and it transformed his life. And this is what he said about the resurrection. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. And then he goes on to say this. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible. It doesn't make sense. All five arguments are blown out of the water. And these 12 disciples, they did. They gave their life to promote the news that Jesus had risen from the dead. They went all over the known world and their entire lives were transformed. They started worshiping on Sunday. That's a big deal. Did you know all of Jesus' disciples and Jesus himself were Jewish? And Jews, to this day, worship on Saturdays, the Sabbath. And yet all of a sudden now, all these believers are starting to worship on Sundays. Why? Why would they go against all their tradition and history and the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures themselves? Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And then, like Thomas, they started saying very early on that Jesus was God. That's a huge deal for Jews. Because if you're Jewish, you learn from a very young age something called the Shema. It's a type of prayer. And still Jews to this day say this prayer, sometimes morning, noon, and night. I learned it when I learned Hebrew. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Do you know what that means? 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. See, different than all the other ancient religions, uh, the religion of ancient Israel was monotheistic, one God. And now, all these early Christians, these followers of Jesus, were saying that Jesus was God. They started proclaiming something that we call the Trinity, that there is one God with three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do you explain that blasphemy? Something major must have happened. Something like Jesus rising from the dead. And these disciples then did go and spread that news around the known world. They went uh, south into Ethiopia and west into Egypt and North Africa. They went north into modern-day Turkey, Syria, and even Italy and perhaps Spain. And they proclaimed the good news even though they were persecuted, they were beaten, people threw rocks at them, and many of them died because of their faith, never once denying it. There were people like um, Andrew who was crucified just like Jesus. Or Peter, when they went to crucify him, said, could you please crucify me upside down? Because I'm not worthy to die the same way as my Lord. Then there's other people like Matthew who was stabbed in Ethiopia. And most all of them were killed. One of the only disciples that wasn't killed... It was John who wrote this account. They tried to kill him. They put him in a big vat of boiling oil to boil him alive. And he survived somehow. So they exiled him to be on this island in the Mediterranean until he died. And thankfully he did. they did that because then we have that account that he wrote down. What about Thomas? Thomas went east to modern-day Iran and made it as far as modern-day India. There are believers in India to this day who claim their roots because Thomas went and proclaimed the good news to them before they stabbed him with a spear and killed him. The most convincing thing to me is that these men's lives were transformed forever. And they were willing to die and suffer to proclaim that, yes, Jesus had risen from the dead. You don't do that if it didn't happen. You would renounce it. At least one of them, right? But they didn't. Why? Because it happened. It happened. Jesus rose from the dead. He came in this physical body unlike anything before it. That Jesus was risen from the dead. A resurrected body, the first fruits of all who believe. Jesus rose from the dead and it happened. So now it's time to move from unbelief to belief. From doubt to faith. And what happens, I I hope that I've convinced some of you in your mind. But I know it's got to be more than that. It's got to go from your mind to your heart for it to really matter. And that's what happened to Mike Schur as we hear a little bit more of his story. It was an Easter service and I came and uh, it really really touched me. It really moved me to the point where I felt I needed to come back the next week. And then I felt like I needed to continue to come back. Um, I felt... You know, a sense of emotion that, that I hadn't felt before that really um, prompted me to, to dig a little bit deeper and start to explore things. And a very good friend of mine turned me towards uh, a book by Lee Strobel uh, called the, the Case for Christ. It is very scientific in nature, and it's very um, journalistic. He was, a, he was a, uh, a writer for newspaper and just set out to explore what I was looking to explore. So... Uh, that was that was huge for me. And so then you get to a place where you have to take that step. You have to take that step of faith, and you have to believe, and you have to say, okay, I, you know, there's nothing here that leads me to believe that this isn't the case. So once you take that step, I think that 
like when things really transition and move for you. Took, a, took it from rational to a place where you just start to believe. There has to be a moment where it moves from rational to where you believe. Now, I know some of you are still doubting. You're still skeptical. You want to investigate it more. Please do. This is the most important question you will ever answer in your life. Did it happen? Did it really happen? So we got a whole case of these books, The Case for Christ, that Mike mentioned. And we have these available at the back table right over here. If you're still doubting and questioning, please get one of these copies. It's our gift to you. And if we run out, we will buy you one and send it to you, okay? We have a list in the back. You can write down your name and address. We want you to continue to investigate. Because if it really happened, that changes everything. If Jesus really predicted that he would die and then three days later rise from the dead, that changes everything. It should transform us as much as it did those early disciples. You should say, well, maybe I should listen to everything Jesus said because nobody else has done that before since. Maybe what he said is true. And when he says that we need to repent and turn and follow him, then we've got to do it. And there's some here today who are ready to believe for the first time. Maybe you've been doubting, you've been skeptical, you're wondering, but you were drawn here somehow by God's Holy Spirit. And I know that God is working in some of your hearts. And if that's true, I want you to not leave here today without accepting his gift of salvation. Because you know what Jesus did for you? He suffered, he was crucified, and he died in your place. See, Jesus was perfect. He was righteous. He did everything right. He served people. He ministered to them. He washed their feet. He loved them. And they still executed him for crimes he did not commit. He died in our place. And that death on the cross, some, a miracle happened. That our sin and punishment that we deserve was put on Jesus Christ. He died in our place. So that if we believe in him, we can have forgiveness of sins, new purpose, joy, and eternal life in a resurrected body. That's what happens. And to prove, to put the exclamation point on what happened on the cross, that miracle. He rose from the dead. It happened. Jesus rose from the dead. And He is alive right now. He is alive right now. So I want to challenge you to put your faith in that Jesus. To decide, I'm going to follow Him. I don't have all the other questions figured out. You can still have other doubts. But if it happened, you'll figure all that out. You just need to make the most important decision of your life. Will you follow Jesus? Will you proclaim that you have faith in Him? We're told that if you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you have to declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So if you believe this morning, it's time to declare with your mouth. So I want everyone to close their eyes right now. I just want everybody to close their eyes. You can bow your heads right now. Just close your eyes. And if you're here and you're ready to profess your faith in Jesus to receive His forgiveness and eternal life, I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a simple prayer, and it's just a way that you can declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You can say, Jesus is God, just like Thomas did. And if you're here and you've already made this profession, let's do it again. Okay? Because I know there's a lot of you. Let's give people the courage to make that declaration today. So I want you to say this prayer along with me. So please repeat after me. God, I declare that You are Lord. I confess I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to give me the gift of eternal life and your Holy Spirit. Lord, help me to follow you with all my life. And I pray 
that I could bring glory to your name. Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are God. Amen. Okay, keep your eyes closed, heads bowed, please. If you said that prayer for the first time, declaring your faith for the first time, could you please just raise your hand? Could you please just raise your hand? Awesome. Praise God. Just raise it up. We have a special gift for you today. If that was the first time you accepted Jesus and you say, I do believe it happened, you you can head back into the back corner, that corner where the books are, and we have a special gift back for you. It's filled with all sorts of goodies, including one of those books, a couple different books and a bunch of different stuff. Grant writers back there. We have some other people back there. They'll help you. So you can just head back and do that. Uh, And we encourage you to do that today. Praise God. And Lord God, for all of us right now, we just pray. We are so excited, Lord God, that you have risen from the dead. Lord God, that we get to proclaim that with our voices this morning and praise your holy name and raise a hallelujah. Praising even though we doubted, even though we had unbelief, you have brought us to faith in the risen King. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.